Well, good morning, church family. It is a joy to be here this morning. Um, Like Thomas said, this is my family, and I'm so excited to be able uh, to come this morning and open God's Word with you. If you would, open your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 32. And I just want to remind us, because sometimes I I take for granted when there's a lot of things going on in a worship service, you know, and looking over and seeing this new sister in Christ be baptized. What a glorious thing that is being proclaimed, that Jesus is Lord, and she is now in the family of God. That the Gospel is marching on. And I love being encouraged by that because when you think about that, you think about the words being sung, you think about the Scripture being read, we get to do this every single week. Every single week. Nothing more important that's happening today than the church gathering together. So with that in mind, please rise in reverence for the reading of God's perfect and powerful Word. We're going to cover all of chapter 32, but I'm going to start reading in verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. In all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Let's pray. O great God, as we come before you this morning, I ask that you would help us as we open your word to behold you, to behold you in your holiness, in your justice, in your beauty, in your mercy, and in your grace. Lord, as we read this account from Exodus 32, I ask that You would change us. Help us to identify anything in our lives that we use to replace You and cast them aside and turn our eyes to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but growing up, one of the most unifying times in my public school classroom was when there was a substitute teacher Now, if you're a substitute teacher, praise God for you, okay? Because in my school, we were awful to substitute teachers, okay? Here's what would happen. Class day, you come in expecting a normal day. Your teacher who spent all year getting you guys in line, laying down the law, learning, and then you walk in and you see this strange person. And this is your response. I mean, when, kid, when people come to the door, they are stoked, excited. Because every, without even saying a word, all the kids in the class are going to be like, we've got to figure out a way to get what we want here. Because on more than one occasion, every now and then we have a substitute teacher that really laid down the law on us, but more than one occasion, we were able to manipulate the substitute teacher by lies and deceit 
to watch a movie like Gladiator. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we were reading this book, but actually, I think we should watch the movie. The library has it. I remember one time we watched Last of the Mohicans. It's rated R. Didn't even have to sign a slip. But I want us to see what's happening here, okay? What's happening in the hearts of these students where they come together, we would come together. Now it's kind of a quiet guy, but still, even though I wasn't participating in the, the manipulation, I wasn't doing anything about it either. I mean, learning or gladiator, okay? Gladiator is going to win every time when you're that age, okay? But what's happening here? The teacher's gone, and now the students come together, and something rises up within them, and it reveals something in our hearts. It reveals something like control. It reveals us to want to have our way, and usually we want our way so that our desires, that our uh, pleasures can be fulfilled. In this case, I didn't want to learn that day, so we come together and we work together in order to get what we want. We come to a similar scene when we come to Exodus chapter 32. Because what's happened up till now is we've been going through Exodus for several weeks now. What's happened up till now is that Moses has been uh, on the mountain with God, and God is giving him the law. Now, just a reminder, the law is a beautiful thing because unlike the uh, pagan cultures around them, God is letting them know who he is by telling them, this is my law. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is how I want you to worship me. They don't have to guess. They have a God who comes to them, who's present with them. And back in Exodus 19, we saw the, when the people gathered at the foot of the mountain and they came together and the mountain was absorbed with fire and smoke and God's loud voice and the people were afraid. But it shows us that God comes to communicate. This is, a God, this is the way our God is going to communicate with His people. And so Moses is up on the mountain getting the law, right? And so while that's happening, we enter in to the Israelites. Chapter 32, verse 1. Keep in mind, Moses has been on the mountain for about 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 1, he comes with this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. That was quick. But I want you to see something here because there's this period of waiting and what our temptation to do when we look at a story like this, a narrative like this in the Old Testament, is we, send, we, we tend to say, well, look at these stiff-necked people. Look at these people. Then they just get passed through the Red Sea. God delivered them from the greatest fighting force known to man. Don't they, don't they see that? Don't they remember that? But what I want us to know is that we are often like unbelieving, unfaithful Israel. Because oftentimes, there's something about waiting. When you have to wait for a period of time, something happens in our heart. Amnesia starts to set in. 
We start to get nervous. We start to wonder and distrust. It activates, hey, am I going to trust in this scenario or am I going to distrust? I don't know uh, what most of your jobs are like. I work in a corporate environment, and so I sit at my computer and send emails all day long. Emails and spreadsheets. That's my job. Okay? And on Friday, there was a certain report that had come through, and this report our client was very, very unhappy about, and she said, I need this by 4 o'clock today. My job, I don't make the report. I type the email and say, hey, client said this to the right person. I need this back by 4 o'clock to send. All right, so starts off good. I send it first thing in the morning. We're going to get this report back. Lunchtime comes around. Okay, you know, we're still okay. Well, then it turns into like 2.30, and I'm like, all right, we got to get this thing here. Or guess whose head is on the chopping block? This guy. And then 3.45 comes around, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I can't wait any longer, okay? And so I'm, I'm typing emails, I'm texting, I'm like, where is this report? Where is it? I need it right now. They're like, it's going to be late, it's going to be late. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But what's happening is I start to get nervous because, I mean, yes, it's a feeble person making this report, but man, I'm nervous. My head's on the chopping block because I don't have faith that this thing's going to get done. I've already waited a long time for it. But it's different for us when we look in our relationship to God because God is a God who we can trust. He has proven Himself trustworthy. He keeps His promises. He keeps His Word. Yet when we're in a time in our lives where we're in a time of waiting, a lot of the times our heart begins to distrust. And maybe you're in that right now. We come every Sunday morning. All of us come together and None of us are perfect. We all have things going on in our weeks, in our lives, trial, tribulation, circumstances, whatever it is. We can know that we can lay it at the foot of the cross. We can know that we have a God who hears and listens to us and cares about it. But often, we fall into a trap like this where, yes, we don't set up uh, an idol made of gold, but we begin to distrust God because our control is fading away. Your control fades away. And when you lose control, if you're not trusting in God, you're going to fall apart every single time. So I want you to think right now, where in your life do you have a problem with control? I'm going to pick on you people who are Neat freaks, because I'm one too. All right? I hate clutter more than anything. Dirt, grime, bacteria, don't care about that. Okay? <laughs> the things that can actually hurt you. But clutter, oh, oh. But here's what happens to me a lot of times on Saturday, okay? I have, some, I have a wife and children on Saturday. It's a day, free day. We're going to spend time with the family. But I wake up and I see, oh, there's toys on the floor. Okay? Oh, we, we have a spill over here. Oh, we didn't get the laundry picked up over here. So I, I start. I don't even think. I just go into clean mode. I'm like, okay, let me do this. Let me do this. I was going to have a good day, but now I'm just cleaning up with under my breath like, oh, she would just learn to pick up her toy. I told her not to do this thing. And all of a sudden, my day is ruined because I've lost, I have lost control. My control is me trusting in myself. 
But this is what happens to us when we begin to have control taken from us. That's what waiting does. Because waiting is, is almost a testing period to where we wait and we trust in the Lord. And when I say wait, I'm not talking about a passive waiting. I'm talking about as you wait on the Lord, we are obedient to the Lord. We're not sitting on Netflix and just waiting for Him to speak to us. No, we are serving together. We are taking the gospel to the nations. Why? Because these things we know are things that all of us do. These are the means which God uses for us to follow His will through His Word, through the church. He uses these things. Let's keep going. Verse 2. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, or that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What I want us to see here too is that when you, when you look at Aaron, you see a failure of nerve that and while Moses is up, Aaron is responsible He's, he's left in charge here. But when the people come to him and say, hey, we want to make this idol, instead of saying, no, we know how we're to worship God, he says, okay, give me your armbands. Give me your earrings. Let's throw them in a pot and build a golden calf. Now, I don't think this is something he wanted to do, but he did it. And it continues, and it, and it even says to the people, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And what is happening here is that the people are not just worshiping a, a bull calf. They think they're worshiping Yahweh, but they're doing it the wrong way. Because what did, the, what did God tell them? How you worship me. Do not make a graven image. Do not make something with your hands. That is not how you worship me. It's blasphemous. But the people want something that they can touch, that they can feel, that they can see, ultimately, so that they can manipulate it. Right? Because around them, the gods of Egypt, people would offer sacrifice in order to get their way. They say, oh, let's offer this thing and then we'll get a good crop this year. Let's do this and we get this. And in that sense, their gods are like genies. If I just do this, God will give me what I want. But the God of the Bible, the one true living God, is no genie. He is sovereign. He is mighty. He is good. He is perfect. And He tells His people, this is how you come before Me. This is how you worship Me. But that's not good enough for the people because they want something in front of them. Show us how we need something that we can feel and touch. But we're not far off from them in this. Right? Because we, I, I don't think many of you, I, I hope not, don't have many idols sitting at home 
You know, you don't have any golden calves sitting on your furniture or something. You don't have any incense burning to it, right? But we have idols in our lives all the time. What is an idol? Well, it's anything we find more important than God. It's, it's anything we worship in place of God. It's anything we seek to give us what only God can give us. Think about that. Because as we read this, we have to look into our hearts, and we should always be doing this for any idols that come up into our lives. John Calvin says this about idols. He says the human mind, so to speak, is a perpetual forge of idols. That our hearts are always producing idols. Why? Because our hearts are corrupt and deceitful. Because what happens is we get into a scenario and we want something that we can touch and feel to give us hope. We want something that, that we can go to to give us hope, that we can manipulate to give us what we want. But that is not how the God of the Bible operates. The thing about this in Exodus, though, and we got to hear this, is that it's through their imitating orthodoxy, they're imitating right belief, but they're doing it through paganism. But we do the same thing. Uh, me and my wife waited years to have children. We just kept, you know, hoping and waiting for, for children to come. And that's a great desire, right? We all should have that desire to have children. What a beautiful thing that is. But years went by and it didn't happen. It's, it still hasn't happened biologically. But what happened is that that desire to have children started be to become an idol. Why? Because I started to look around and I saw what other people had that I don't have. And I was like, I need to have this. I need to have this. If I'm going to be a good Christian, if I'm going to be respected, if I'm going to, need, if I'm going to have fulfillment in my life, I need to have this child. You see how it turns? You see how I set up an idol in my heart? That's something good like wanting a child, that wanting children can even become an idol. And it wasn't until a faithful brother in Oldham County said, hey, I, I know this is sensitive, but I want to tell you, have you thought about your heart in this? Have you thought about recently the reasons why you want children? And at first I was like, hey man, back off, you know? But when I thought about it, and I saw my actions, I saw that my heart was far from God. My heart was only concerned with myself. And I had given myself something to, to hang on to, to, to work towards, thinking that I could please God, that I could please people around me by something that I can make and contrive. Instead of depending upon a sovereign God and upon His plan. So even... Not even, we're, we're not even talking about here golden calves in our lives, but we're talking about things that are good things that we can turn to idols. Let's keep going here. Actually, I'm going to reread verse 6 for us. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And you see the people, and, and it's, 
it's kind of hard to see this here, but it's not the, the whole of Israel, but this group of people that have asked Aaron to make this, these gods that are accountable to this, they come together and they are blatant about it. They, they're eating, they're drinking, and they're playing. They've made something to give them comfort, but it's counterfeit. It's not real. They're forsaking the God of the universe for themselves. But let's look at this covenant-keeping God in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now this, this type of thing isn't popular in our culture nowadays, but God is a God of justice and wrath. And they deserve, and we deserve, death. And He would have been perfectly fine in destroying this people. But, let's look in verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does Your wrath burn hot against Your people whom You have brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Here it is. Verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. This is the promise that Moses brings before God. Because what's happened is God says, you know what? My anger is burning hot. I'm going to kill them. He tells Moses, I'm just going to start again with you. Now Moses could have said, you know, you know what? These people, you're right. I'm tired of them. I've been trying to lead them. They've been giving me nothing but grief. Start over with me. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he reminded God. He he went to God and he was concerned with God's glory and not his own. He was concerned with God's reputation among the nations and not his own. He was concerned with the promise that God made. It's amazing. And we see this all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. We see this happen many times. I think of um, Isaiah when uh, King Hezekiah uh, is under siege and the greatest Assyrian army around them. There's no hope. There's no way they can fight back. They're going to be destroyed. But what does Hezekiah do? He goes, he prostrates himself before the Lord And he concerns himself with the Lord's glory. He says, for your glory do this, Lord. Please save us. For your glory. So that your your name may be known among the nations. So your name may be great. And what does the Lord do? The Lord essentially says, hey, okay. 
Y'all can't do anything. Y'all watch. Y'all watch what I'm about to do. And overnight, obliterates the army and delivers his people. But what does that do? It doesn't give Hezekiah glory. No, we read that and we remember God's glory. We remember the acts and works of God. When we read this, we're called to remember because remembering is a solution. It's a tool that we use to fight idolatry. When we start to question God, when we start to question our contentment, when we, become, when we start to think of ourselves how we're not fulfilled and we turn to other things and we try to replace God, the way that we counteract that is that we remember. We don't build something and follow it. We remember. You have that all throughout Scripture where the Word tells us to remember God. Teach your children. Remember God. Remember what He's done. All the songs in the Bible, when we, when we read a psalm, when we sing a psalm, we are remembering together. We are remembering what God has done. And it's not just something where we say, oh yeah, I remember that. No, we remember and it creates in us hope. Because we're looking to the God of the universe. We have hope in Him. It helps us to depend upon Him and not ourselves when we remember But what I want us to see here too is that when we think about the promise and it being a promise forever and that the people have, have traded the truth of God for an image that they could feel and touch, what's the fulfillment of that promise? That an offspring will come one day and save His people. And it did. A thousand years later, Jesus comes. The Word of God made flesh and dwelt among His people. And His people followed Him. No! He came to His own and His own rejected Him. They wait all this time for, for something that they could see, that they could touch and feel. And then when Jesus comes as the promised Messiah and Savior of the world to save His people from their sin, they reject Him and put Him on a cross. you feel that? That the promise of God has been fulfilled, yet His own people reject Him. But we're in the same boat. We all have rejected God. We all have contrived an idol in our heart. Maybe you're holding on to one right now. But we all have done it. Where we have tried to usurp God's authority in our life by following what we want. But then we remember this promise and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ who went to a bloody cross and died and then rose again on the third day defeating death, defeating shame, defeating the curse. And we look to Him and depend upon Him. Because here's the thing, the people right here, they, they broke the covenant. It didn't take long. They broke the covenant they made with God. And, and there's going to be consequences for that which we're about to see. And there's going to be consequences down the road for that. But ultimately, God is going to continue in His promise because He is a covenant-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God. And when we think and we remember that today, it gives us hope in our present circumstance. We're to depend upon Him and not ourselves. 
Look with me in verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing to His people. And so you see here how, how God... He, he had his plan all along, but when Moses comes and, and prays to him and asks him to relent of it for his glory and for his name's sake, right? He does it. Because it's his glory that's at stake. And he alone is worthy. But then in verse 15, we see the, the consequences for counterfeit. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God. Engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf and they, that they made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. You feel the seriousness of this? That God, that while Moses is on the mountain receiving the, the law of the Lord, which he's going to deliver to the people, right? Because he's in this mediator role, right? Because the people can't approach God on their own. And so God calls Moses to speak on behalf of the people to him and on behalf of God to the people. And Moses is up here doing it all while all this idolatry is happening. And so naturally, Moses comes down and he's angry. But he's not angry for himself. He's not angry. I just spent 40, 40 days up here on this mountain. He's angry because this people who said, yes, we will keep the covenant, just broke it. Just broke the covenant with the God who delivered them out of Egypt. And so Moses throws the tablets down, signifying the breaking of this covenant. I want you to see how serious this is that he, he goes down there and he just messes that calf up. So much so that he grounds it into powder and he's like, drink that water. He makes them drink it because he wants them to feel what has happened in the breaking of the covenant. It's not over. Verse 21, and Moses said to Aaron, this is good, what did this people do to you that have brought such a great sin upon them? You know, you're thinking, what did they, did they make you put your hand to the stone and make the calf? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, you know these guys, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf. <laughs> that sounds a lot like when my wife sends me to the grocery store and I come back with a bunch of beef. <laughs> I mean, just brisket all the way up to the cart. And she says, where did this come from? I don't know. I went in there. I came out. This came in my cart. 
It happens every time you go out of town. I don't know what you, what you expect out of me. And so you have the Aaron, and he's starting to shirt, he's starting to you know draw back. Oh, oh, right, because he's seeing what, what has happened here, and and he's telling Moses is talking to Aaron and saying, "What did they make you do it?" And he's just saying, "I just threw it in there." It sounds a lot like Adam in the garden, doesn't it? When he says, Lord, this woman you gave me made me eat this fruit. Casting blame. Shirking responsibility. Why? Preservation of himself. Preservation of his reputation. Preservation of his will. Not a concern for the will and preservation of God's glory. Let's keep going. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Now I want you to stay with me here, okay? Because we have to keep in mind what has happened. Okay, we can't see this as just a random slaughter in the Old Testament, which is what typically in our culture of the world reads the Bible. This is what we see. No, we see a people chosen and delivered by God who have broken His commandment. And it's not like they weren't warned. And it points us to the seriousness of sin. It points us to the seriousness of guilt. That when we disobey a holy God, this is what we deserve. When you think of the God of the universe and all that He's done for us, and all He continues to do for us, you think of our sin spitting in His face. It's an act of rebellion against this great and holy God. And it matters who it is, right? If I go and I, if I offend Thomas, he's probably not going to kill me. He'll probably rebuke me, right? Because Thomas is a man. But if I go to the president and I strike him in the face, I'm going to get a bullet in me. Why? Because he's the president. He's in higher authority. And so when we think about God, he's a higher authority. He's the creator of the universe, and our sin is an affront to him. I want you to see the seriousness of your sin. If you're here this morning, know this. Know this. You have sinned. And you deserve death. We all do. But also, see in this text, see a great Savior who stands on your behalf, who takes your punishment so that you might follow Him and that you might live. Let's read in verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin 
And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So what's happening here? Moses is saying, you all have sinned, right? And even though they punished the people who, who came to Aaron to, to uh, erect this calf, the whole community is guilty of sin as well. They stood by and let it happen. Because here's the truth for you, sin doesn't just affect you. It affects your wife. It affects your children. It affects your family. It affects the people sitting next to you right now. When we sin, it's not just an individual affront against God. It affects the community. It spreads. That's why we need this Savior. But Moses says, I'm going to go. I'm going to see if I can make atonement. I'm going to see if if I can make some sort of sacrifice so that God will forgive you. Verse 31, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. And so Moses comes and says, take me as a substitute for their sin. Take me. God's response. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. He says, no. Why? Because Moses, although not guilty in this scenario, he is a sinful man. Moses cannot atone for your and I's sin. We need something better than Moses. We need something greater than Moses. We need the promised offspring who will come and crush the head of the serpent and die for our sin, defeating death, sin, and shame. That's what we need. Jesus is a better mediator than Moses. We've already seen it in Exodus, and we see it now. That when Jesus goes to the Father on your behalf and says, Father, do not hold their sin against me for those who believe. He doesn't. You're forgiven. You're free. Because when the Father now looks at you, if you repent and look to Jesus, when the Father looks at you, He sees the beauty and righteousness of His Son. He doesn't see your sin and your shame. He sees the glory of Jesus because of what Jesus has done for you. Which is why it's important for us to depend upon the Son, Jesus Christ. Because if we depend upon ourselves, we're just fooling ourselves. We need Jesus We need this Savior, this better mediator. We need Him. You need Him. Verse 33, But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever is sinning against me, I'll blot on my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague to the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron had made. And so there's still a consequence and there's effect for this sin that the Lord's going to send a plague. You know, we don't know if anyone died from this plague, but he sends this judgment. And there's a a future here where he's looking, look, the covenant's been broken. And you could read in Deuteronomy 
all of the stipulations of the covenant. That if you break this covenant, all, or if you keep the covenant, all these great things, their blessings are yours. But if you break the covenant, there's a whole long list of curses. And the covenant's been broken. You and I have sinned. And we deserve every single one of those. But Jesus stepped in. Stepped into the breach. Took the wrath we deserve on Himself so that we might trust Him. So my question is, why do we make these idols in our lives to replace this great God who gave Himself up for us? What can we do to stop it? Remember. Remember the Gospel. That the Gospel changes everything. No matter if an idol in your life is money, fame, success, performance, power, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a person. Jesus is greater. Our hope is in Jesus, not anything we can contrive with our own hands. We need Jesus, for He alone is worthy. We should leave no room in our hearts for idols. How do we do that? We use the means that God has given us to fill up our affections, our desires, our will. We fill them up with Christ. Why do we sing? We sing when we fill our hearts with this rich, these rich words about Christ. When we open His Word, we fill up our hearts with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. When we gather together to worship, when we gather together to serve, whether it be Fall Fest or, or whatever it may be, we gather in fellowship with one another knowing that God has placed each of us to fill up our affections for Christ, encouraging one another into the faith. These are the means that God has given us to carry on. The problem is when we reject those means and we form something for us to hang on to. But we must remember the Gospel. Remember the Gospel changes everything and that we are to fill our desires, our longings for Christ and watch transformation take place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see that You are a good, great, and powerful God. But we also see that You are a God that's not... He's, you are far off, but yet You come near to us. You draw near to us because You show us such grace and mercy through Your Son, Jesus. Lord, I don't know who all is in here today. I don't know what we each carry with us today. Lord, I pray that we would not leave here scoffing at the grace of God, but Lord, that those here that do not know Jesus would call Him Lord. For those here this morning sitting here, that they would respond to the call of Christ to follow Him and trust Him. Those of us that know You, Lord, let us examine our hearts and know that from our hearts flow the springs of life and that we're to keep a watch over our hearts. Lord, I ask that You would help us to do that. 
Lord, let us not set idols up for ourselves. Let us not set control up for ourselves. Lord, let us instead depend upon You. Totally and completely upon You. That we don't come here, Lord, to be independent, self-reliant, pull yourself up by your bootstrap Christians. Instead, we come completely in need of You. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.